from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, and I'm delighted to be with another editor-in-chief today and a contributor to the Green Entrepreneur. Nick Golan of Marijuana Retail Report is in the house. Nick, welcome. Hey, Jonathan. Thank you again for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. We always love your podcast and you get some great guests. And this is no exception. You were able to sit down with Kyle Kazan, who is co-founder, CEO, and chairman of Glass House Group, which is really one of the largest privately held, vertically integrated cannabis companies in the country. And so Kyle's got a really interesting background, right? He was a former police officer who got into real estate and made a good living fortune, really, basically, in the cannabis space. So tell us what we can expect from uh, your interview with him. Basically, this guy is, like you just said, he's one of the heads of the largest, one of the largest uh, privately held companies in California. I mean, he's doing stuff for so many different companies. I mean, the guy's involved with Cleva. I mean, well, it's under the portfolio. He's doing stuff with Bella Thorne's company. I mean, if there is a celebrity brand, uh, he probably is touching it in some way or another. And I mean, the guy is also killing it with Glasshouse Farms and Grand Farrar. Their greenhouses are phenomenal, yep. second to none in the I, California I had a landscape. chance to see them actually in person up in Santa Barbara. Incredible facilities in Carpinteria, Santa Barbara area. Really beautiful. Just, just immaculate. And, and the passion that both Graham and Kyle have, both for flower and the cannabis industry, is unparalleled. I mean, just, just an honest uh, to goodness, good guy for the cannabis industry. And he also has some pretty strong opinions, right? Which is cool. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, being in the the world's largest adult use market, also one of the world's most restrictive cannabis markets. You're going to form some opinions, especially when having to deal with regulators and local legislators. He's seen some some problems in the California landscape, and he really wants to see opportunity come back to the Golden State. So yeah, he he uh, he got a little bit fired up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he even said on the podcast he was afraid his team might get mad at his opinions. But I mean, that's you know that's coming from somebody who also has an activism background. I mean, you mentioned he was a former police officer. He worked extensively with LEAP, uh, you know, law enforcement against prohibition. Just a really good guy for the cannabis industry to have. All right. Well, it's a great interview and a really interesting person, Kyle Kazan. So we will now bring you our interview or Nick's interview with Kyle Kazan. You know, I got to ask, being somebody that's so personable as you are and being somebody, that, you know, from traditional business, you know, what made you kind of want to co-found Glasshouse Group and really get into the cannabis industry in the first place? Nick, that's a good question. Oh, put it this way. I was an advocate to end the war on drugs, not just cannabis, end the war on drugs because I was involved in the war on drugs and uh, was part of, you know, the harm that is the war on drugs for five years. And so basically, so I'm out there as an advocate and then people start reaching out to me saying, hey, would you invest? And I've been really fortunate that I've made a lot of money during capital dislocations of the market. Typically, though, that's only raising 25, 30% equity of a deal. Cannabis was a much higher amount. So I go, wow, that must be a much bigger opportunity. And so I just came in as a private equity investor and things just because I've run other businesses successfully, I was able to go ahead and kind of cobble together. And I will tell you, I can't imagine any cannabis company out there telling you that this isn't probably the hardest thing they've ever done, just because I'm used to flying a 747 with all the dials and everything. I have, I have presidents, CEOs of banks calling me, trying to get my business, doing, you know, any, give me free tickets, anything I can. And then all of a sudden I get put on a big wheels and said, go ahead and run a company now. 
Oh, by the way, you can't, you don't have a payroll company because ADP doesn't want you. Oh, by the way, you have to, you're paying people cash because you, you're not banking. So do your withholding and then pay that for them. So it was just like, it was utterly ridiculous. Today, I, we've been able to solve a lot of those. And I'm, I may not be in a 747, but I'm in a 737. So it's getting, getting closer. <laughs> and, you know, definitely, uh, you know, flying a, a, a ship, so to speak, the size of Glasshouse Group is definitely uh, not an easy thing to do. And, and being a cannabis company, especially in one of the most restrictive markets in the country, is definitely no easy feat. When you were getting into kind of the nitty gritty of the original years uh, after launching Glasshouse Group, you know, was there like kind of a moment where you were like, kind of like, oh, shit, is this is this the right path? You know, is this is this the right company to be a part of in, in the sense that, you know, is the cannabis industry technically right for me or should I go back to the easy days of, uh, of uh, investment banking? Oh, so, you know, my other company, I'm still the majority share. I'm still the majority owner. I'm the chairman and the founder. We manage conservatively four and a half billion dollars worth of real estate in LA and Orange County. So um, I still have that business. I work on it, but not in it. And so I know just from being gritty and from turning around different investments. And so far, knock on wood, I've never had an unsuccessful investment. So I would tell you that where I had those sleepless nights or I wake up in a pool of sweat, it was typically external forces that made me worry I might fail. When I say I, I gave, a, I gave my commitment to investors that I was going to carry this through like I did every other investment I've ever had. And those were not without bumps, but we've always been able to get through them. And so I'd wake up and I would say, I apologize to my wife. I would say two years in when I woke up thinking that Jeff Sessions and the feds would freeze every single bank account we had, <laughs> shut down any business that I have. And yeah, those were the moments. But when it came to things getting really difficult and it was a, there seemed to be some really big mountains ahead of us. I would tell you that those are the those are the situations where I thrive and, and just never say die. When I think about, I, I love reading and listening to podcasts, and I, I listened to one recently about the, the Navy SEALs. And what they do is they try and take you past, they take you past the physical breaking point. Your body is done. You're cold. You're tired. You can't go on. And they want to see, do you have it in your psyche to unlatch from the pain and from that, and say, I'm going to make it through anyway. And so I would tell you that that's always my, my thinking is, until I'm down, until I'm out, I am not down and I'm not out. And so when I say I, as the leader of the team, I think it, it's, it's incumbent on me to always have that, don't worry, we're going to figure this out. And so far, I just saw that C4 Distro, which is a distro, they started around the same time we did, I, I heard they Basically packed it in today. Look, we uh, every day that we're going is a great day. I would like to tell you that I would say for sure we're going to make it. But I would tell you any business person, even Jeff Bezos, who has that attitude, puts his business and, and he at risk. And so uh, we stay humble. We stay gritty. And I love that we're in this business. I think we're going to look back someday and go, was that amazing or what? And hey, Grandpa founded Glasshouse, Glasshouse Brands. Can you believe that? Or something that grandma's smoking. We founded that. 
So anyway. <laughs> well, and you're absolutely right. And I think that, uh, I think that Elon Musk actually put it, uh, in the best words that I could say is that he would have to be dead or incapacitated in order for him not to be working on his businesses. And I think that, uh, I think that you are doing an absolutely fantastic job along with the rest of the crew over at Glasshouse Group in California. Are you hopeful that, uh, maybe, you know, you had mentioned, uh, you know, C3 distribution kind of packing in it. Are you hopeful that maybe California will start to do some easing on the taxation? I know they raised it up at the beginning of the new year. I know Newsom has said, you know, hey, I understand that the, the, the you know, the cannabis industry is going through plight right now, but he hasn't really done anything so far to really help the industry. What are you hopeful for in 2022 as far as the state of California's regulatory environments concerned? You know, Nick, that's a, that's a great question. There's a great book, the obstacle is the way. I will tell you that California is the biggest obstacle in the, in the United States, you just called out. And so I've had conversations directly with Nicole Elliott. She's the head of, of all of our uh, regulation in the state of California. It's all under her. I am one degree of separation from uh, Governor Newsom. I am, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I can be very pointed, uh, especially at the federal government right now, because I just scratched my head. With the state government, I am now hopeful because I'm seeing that Governor Newsom is taking the appropriate action to deal with the taxation issue. And the reason I say that where people, and I got knocked on Twitter, and again, I, I'm a straight shooter when it comes to this, he cannot wave a magic wand and say goodbye to taxes. This is a proposition. That means that it's not just a 5149. This is actually two thirds when it's a proposition voted by. So He's got to rally not just Democrat. Well, actually, Democrats have a two thirds, but he needs to really get a coalition and um, it has to go through the budget committee. It's a July 1st kind of thing. Um, so he's doing the right things. Now, I'm watching and Miss Elliott is new to that position. She also is working hard. I'm watching, but I'm also here to offer my support. And I've been asked a couple of times, would I be willing to sit down in a small group with Governor Newsom. I said, absolutely, I'll get on a plane, I'll fly up to Sacramento, you tell me when. And it's not just for Glasshouse brands. Yes, I'm a fiduciary for all the investors and the teammates that I work with, but I need this industry to work. We're not an island here. And there's room for everybody from the small growers, the medicinal folks that have been at this, you know, since it was, it was legalized over 20 years ago. But Gavin did help get Prop 64 passed, put his support behind it. We probably wouldn't be here, good side, without that. So I, I want to make sure I'm an equal opportunity. If at the end of the year, Nick, you and I are on this, and we haven't gotten tax relief, and we haven't taken uh, steps to, one, bring more people in the legal market, and two, put some guardrails uh, so that folks that don't want to come in the legal market can't really participate, and, and we deal with those folks. Um, I'll be the first one to tell you that was a fail, but I'm hoping. And I believe that uh, Gavin and Nicole are going to do good stuff, and I'm, I'm here to lean in with them. Well, and when you're looking at, you know, kind of the totality of the California market, and you're seeing, you know, the legacy players from pre-215 that, you know, kind of segued into the 215 market, and then were unable to make the leap into the 64 market. When you're looking at, say, these legacy players or, you know, the, the legacy market, so to speak, versus, say, uh, taxation what do you think will be the impetus to move the California industry first? Do you think it will be tax relief or do you think that they'll fix the licensing issue to try to bring some of these legacy players into the fold? 
Yeah. So, so Nick, an, another great question. And I love that, you know, you know, 215, so, you, you know, you know, this market really well. And I, and I love that. So I love having these, these conversations. I wouldn't make that a binary. I think it needs, both needs to happen. This is the largest market in the world. And it also has what most, most markets don't have, which is a generational legacy issue. And even if you look at the prohibition of alcohol, where people make that comparison, and there are comparisons that, that can be made, but that was only a 13-year prohibition. I mean, if you think of the summer of love in the 1960s and Vietnam veterans dropping out up in the Mendocino area in the Emerald Triangle to just to grow and to say, stay the heck away from me, we developed a great cannabis industry. We developed great cannabis consumers. People here cannot be fooled. You cannot be a celebrity, go ahead and white label some cannabis and think people are going to buy it. That, that may work in some other states, but it is not going to work here. And it, Nick, if you say, Kyle, I got the best brand, I'm going to do this, and we put it on our shelves and people buy it the first time, I can usually influence some buying the first time, but you won't get them a second. So yeah. as Gavin and Nicole and all of us look to try and guide policy, we need to get those people that I just mentioned that dropped out uh, in the 60s and became amazing growers. And if they need some financial help, so the tax relief would help. Um, also lowering some of the licensing fees to get into the business because it helps to actually make money to then invest in it. And some of the folks don't have a lot. And then you talk about social equity and by the, the people that were most impacted by the war on drugs and are still, by the way, there's still a war on drugs on. So let, let, right. who have been, who are, if you don't come up with some ways to put the guardrails around um, the illicit industry, you can give out as many licenses as you want in Los Angeles. Because I would like to find, I'm trying to find ways to work with those folks. But if, if there's just trap shops and there's some place in Los Angeles where they just set up a cart table and just start selling, well, what chance does, does an entrepreneur have um, especially somebody that gets a social equity license, most of those folks are not well capitalized. And then to get capitalized by somebody like me, I have to make a return on that money too. So we have to, we have to work through. So we need some regulation, we need some taxation relief, and we need ways to encourage people to come into this the legal industry. Well, and when you're looking at the, say, the Los Angeles region, you're looking at some of these post-ICO shops that decided to keep operating after 64. Cat Packer, she had attempted to kind of work against those guys with the DWP and, you know, getting water shut down, electricity shut down. These guys just brought in their own tanks of water, their own generators. From your perspective, you know, in the Southern California market, what can be done from the DCR or anybody in the Los Angeles region in order to kind of bring those trap shops under control? Well, as I said earlier, and it always makes my team sort of cringe and they're in the room right now cringing. I will, <laughs> I will call people out. And so Mike Fuhrer, who's running for mayor of Los Angeles, has been our city attorney. And I met with his cannabis person. We have mutual friends. I've been politically active in the state for a long time. I run, as you know, I run other businesses. So I want to reach out to help solve this problem. And so at his request, I met with this person who's a very smart city attorney. And I told her, I said, look, I know how landlords think. And you cannot, other than the card table out in the street, which I think the police can go ahead and deal with that in a nice way. But these people all have buildings. They have landlords. And the landlords charge them a, a king's ransom to be there, usually six months right in advance, because I get those inbounds too. And I said, all you have to do 
It's put in there a provision that once you are notified as the landlord that you have an unlicensed cannabis tenant, the fines could be as high as 30,000, 50,000 per day. Now, the response was, well, there's no guarantee that a judge would implement that fine. I said, yes, but again, I run one of the largest privately held property management. I don't run it, but I, I own it. And I know how landlords think. If there's a possibility the judge after 10 days could, could hit you with a $250,000 or $300,000 fine and then multiply that by three months, they're not going to take the risk. They will do your bidding for you. They will go to court and remove that, that tenant. And that will, and so if you have people like a hotline, so, hey, there's an illegal shop right there, landlord. And after a while, landlords, you know, you get warned and also you make it very simple for landlords. By the way, you need to check. This is how you check their illegal business. So the stick to me was not turning off the electricity. I appreciate Kat. I know she, I think she was in an, an unwinnable situation, but the city attorney's office, I know because I work with them in other businesses and I worked with them when I was in law enforcement. They have so many levers that they're not, they're not using. And I don't know if Mr. Fuhrer doesn't like cannabis, but he's now in a box because I've already had people that are raising money for him reach out to me. And I'm like, there's no way. Like there was a time to work with me. There was a time and social equity that is floundering right now can thank Mr. Fuhrer. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be happy that I just. <laughs> well, and I, and I feel terrible for the, especially the Los Angeles social equity market. I mean, some of these people have been waiting two, three years, you know, spending all their, their capital, literally just waiting uh, for the ability to open shop. It's a heartfelt situation for a lot of these social equity applicants. And in the Los Angeles market, I definitely hope that they do get it figured out because you're right. You know, Los Angeles is the largest adult use market in the world by a large margin. But you, you know, as far as California as a whole are absolutely crushing it. You <laughs> you and Graham, I, I swear your flower gets better every single year. I do got to ask, you guys did make an acquisition at the beginning, or I'm sorry, at the end of uh, uh, 2021, uh, you guys acquired Plus. I know that Plus had, you know, filed for, bankruptcy protection. It's, I believe it was September last year, sometime around then. When you were looking for an acquisition partner uh, or you were looking for a brand to take into the fold, what were some metrics that you looked at for Plus products that you were like, this is the brand that I have to have as part of the Glasshouse family? Yeah. So great question. Number one, thank you for your kind call out of our flower. Graham and I, I mean, I was on the phone with them he was my last call last night. He was my first call this morning. We talked quite a bit and we're both consumers of Glasshouse. So we're very proud of it. And we're always looking for new cultivars, new strains. Both he and I are out there talking to the folks that are making the magic happen so that we can always, you know, yes, there's the favorite. Some people tell me, I love your Cherry AK or I love your Super Silver Haze, your Mac 1. And I'm like, we'll always have those, but it's the next hit songs that have some new flavor or some you know, make you feel a little bit differently. So we're, we are nonstop on that. And so thank you for that. And also if you're in Long Beach or Santa, uh, you know, near my office or near Santa Barbara, I know we'd, uh, you know, we'll certainly put some flour in your hand. Uh, Cause I'd love, love to get your comments as, as, as an influencer and, and someone in the space. Um, in regards to plus gummies, we run each of our, each of our sectors, very, very uh, focused in a way to, be the best we could be in, in those categories. And by that, I mean, our retail carries all the big brands, not just ours, all the big brands. And we and even our competitors, because we need to win the consumer by them wanting our brand, not because we don't stock our competitor's brand. 
So we focused in on flour. That was where Graham and I really, really looked at. And that's also the largest category, as you know. Um, and we have uh, pre-rolls. We have infused pre-rolls. I just happen to have some on my desk that I, I picked up the potter yesterday. So retail, we have a team that came from Nordstrom's. They, we just want to have, and I go out there all the time and ask people as they're leaving, hey, how, how was your experience? What'd you buy? And uh, I, I saw someone last time, they bought Glasshouse Farms flour. And instead of a field pen, they bought a raw garden. Hey, John Field be, would be very happy about that. So, uh, but the main thing was the consumer was smiling. They felt they got a good deal and they were treated really well by our team. So then you say, all right, what about what other brands? So edibles is the one that we wanted to go into. And so we have a, we have a, a solid team. We were looking at doing some stuff to Novo. Um, we are actually make, we were going to start making some gummies, forbidden flowers, the Bella Thorne brand. And so we've been really working on a new different formulation than we've tried with a guy up in Santa Barbara. And I'll be frank with you, our chief of business development, notice I said chief. So it's, we, we, we brought in somebody in the C-suite to help us with biz dev. That's how serious we take it. It's a guy named Eric Thorson, who like Jamie Mendola for AIR, I don't know if you've met him, but he's a board member. He is one, these guys know everybody and everybody likes them. So he came to me and he said, what do you think about Plus? And I think, Nick, if you and I were having a conversation about stocks that we should invest in, we'd probably start with, what do we like? Like, do we go to Amazon? Do we go to Costco? Do we go to, and usually you start with that. So when I was asked about Plus Gummies, I said, well, I like Plus Gummies. They're the ones that have the little tins. So they fit in my pocket if I'm going to the Hollywood Bowl or my sock. And then, and they also have the little, the little gummies. And I liked what they were doing. And so, but I said, you know, versus what's it going to take for us to, you know, I think their top line revenue in 2021 is going to be somewhere around $10 million. So how much would it cost us and how long would it take us to get to that run rate? And we know that that's not inconsequential. And so when this came, uh, the first comp I looked at was Wana Brands and Wana sold for $300 million. I've tried Wana. I think, I think it's a good gummy. Uh, I think Wild's a good gummy. I think Camino's a good gummy. But Plus was one of the first ones that I ever saw. And I really liked it. So I said, let's do the deep dive. And if we could continue to check the boxes, like any other investment, then we'll go to the finish line with it. And um, we got to know the team. I've been out to Adelanto. I've watched them make the product, um, been to the stores, talked to people, and it, everything just checked out. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that. And I think that the cost of being a public company is expensive. We can basically take that away. There's a number of things we can do. And we think we can also, uh, with our sales team, um, we can start maybe pushing that brand out a little bit more. And we're going to be working on cogs like everybody else. And just like we do with Glasshouse Farms, Nick, we're going to do what we can to make that even better. So that next time you come on, you're like, you know, I used to smoke, but that plus gummy is so darn good. That's all I can take. <laughs> and I, I absolutely, I, I love plus gummies. And you had mentioned uh, Wada brand, Nancy Whiteman, obviously getting acquired, huge deal in the cannabis industry. Most recently, uh, I believe uh, MJ BizCon got acquired by Emerald, another huge acquisition in the cannabis industry. Are M&As the future of cannabis? You know, I would say this, past is prologue. If you look at every other, every other industry, I think that the only reason you're not seeing big non-cannabis companies, we're talking about plant touching. I mean, MJ, BizDoc, MJ BizCon is a non-plant touching entity. Wana was an option from a Canadian company. So that's sort of a plant touching to plant touching. But you haven't seen Diageo. You haven't seen you know, Southern Glazers. You haven't seen 
Pfizer go to an American plant touching company right now, and they won't until it's legal. And then I think you will see those kind of uh, attempts at M&A for sure. And I will tell you, I would be stunned if you didn't see some, some very big deals and also private equity groups coming into the space and trying to you know bolt things together. You're going to see the MSOs um, at some point when it looks like cross borders are going to happen. You're going to see them cleaning up you know, they're not going to be vertically integrated in 35 states. That's just, it won't happen. You're going to start to see the ag states do ag. You'll see some manufacturing states do manufacturing. You're going to start seeing the industry normalize. But I would say this, my focus right now is just keep my eyes uh, forward in making the right acquisitions, building the right company, keeping the culture the way it is. I mean, we've got something very special in Graham Farrar. He, he is a He's a cultural influencer for California cannabis, which in other words means cannabis. So we have something very special with my partner there. And then you've got me that, you know, we're going to be announcing uh, some things coming up that I think we've negotiated like we did our, the big farm that you talked about, you know, I was able to negotiate $25 million off the price during the transaction. And, you know, that going from 118 to 93, that fell in my wheelhouse. So I was able to kind of do what I do. The best thing Graham and I get to do are just have those conversations about how do we make things better? And I'll tell you, we're still at a point, even though much of the year we were the number one flower brand, he and I get these different inbounds, whether it's on Twitter or someone will text me a friend, they'll get a free hat from a bartender in Malibu. True story. Friend goes, she, oh, no, sorry, free beer because she was wearing, he was wearing a glass house hat. And I'm like, <laughs> hey man, Give me that bartender's name and the bar name. And, you know, we sent her some swag and I sent her a handwritten note. I, I love the fact that we're just step by step. Every consumer matters to us. And um, even though we sold a ton, a ton of jars, if somebody is unhappy or they get home and they weigh it and they feel that for some reason it's not an eighth, we'll buy it back and give them a new one. Like, you know, it's an Apollo or give them two more new ones. We will make sure that the satisfaction is there. And so I will tell you, I'm having a great time at some point back to your, to your answer. Yes. I think when people ask me, do, is this a good time to invest in the cannabis industry? I, I say it's a great time. Don't ask me about the horizon for when Chuck Schumer or whichever president, when that happens, I don't know, but when it does happen, <laughs> you're going to see it get, you're going to see it go crazy. And by the way, you don't have all, you don't have Goldman Sachs here yet. You don't have you know, the quant traders here yet. You don't have all those things. And, and Nick, I, for four years, I sat in a teacher's lounge listening to investment ideas from teachers. And then for five years, I would stand across the hood of a car having a, you know, a cup of coffee with my fellow cops listening during the dot bomb or dot com explosion, those bad ideas. And all these folks work really hard for their money. They would like to get rich and they have no chance typically against Wall Street. But here, you actually have a chance. And I keep saying part of the reason we're doing Glasshouse Fest in the summertime, you know, kind of like and this is a very big stretch to compare to uh, the Woodstock for investors in Omaha. But what I would say is all you have to do is own one share. Today, that would cost you $4.55. You can come. You can meet the entire C-suite. You can take a tour and you can have a voice as an investor and people are listening to you. And I don't know how many other companies will be able to say that, but it's important to me because I know what it's like to not have a lot of money that I have as investment capital. It's precious to me. I worked hard to earn it and I definitely want it to grow for myself. And so I take that, I take that very seriously.
Well, one thing as a fan of your brand, and I have to ask you, being that your flower is so popular in the California market, being that Plus Products uh, has given you now kind of a segue into the Nevada market, is there a potential of Plus kind of dragging you into Nevada? Are you eventually going to move your flower into a new market and test it out there? And if so, is Nevada going to be that market? That's a good question. I'll tell you what, Nick. Plus, no problem. Plus is a formulation, and we just have to make sure we get that right. I, I will tell you that um, I've got, a, you know, I, I'm I'm not a young, like, 21-year-old that's just into business, so I've got a pretty good Rolodex, and I'm already looking at, yes, we have Nevada. How do we do better there? And then the same thing is how do you, how do you smartly expand where you keep your quality and increase your quantity? And so... When it comes to plus, I think that's going to be a no-brainer. I, I we we certainly want to go head to head around the country uh, and bring what's special in California. And I would say this in regards to field and maybe even maybe the Bella brand forbidden flowers. The difficulty with Glasshouse, though, and and I would ask you um, because we we've been asked at different points to go and help in Florida to do a grow. We've been asked in some other states, and thus far. It's bandwidth, it's a lot, but it's also California has the ideal climate to grow cannabis. And so we've, we really know it well, we know what we're doing here. You think it's a good idea for us? Should we, should we be looking at other, perhaps even ag states? I mean, if, uh, if you're asking me, I would say, you know, Florida, if Florida goes adult use, that is going to be a gigantic market. I know that New York State and New Jersey right now are absolutely exploding. Will they be as big as, say, a, you know, a tourist market in, in Florida and have you know, kind of an overregulation in the New York market? I don't know. But I would definitely say that as I go across the country, I want to make sure that I have access to Glasshouse Farm. Man. I, that's, that's all I know. But yeah, I, I, definitely think that, uh, I definitely think that you could do well in other parts of the country. Absolutely. As long as, as, long as Graham is bringing, again, that... Uh, that standard of practice that he brings to what he does in the California region, I think you'll have no problem. So um, I will tell you, I've gotten pictures sent to me where Glasshouse and we kind of verified just looking at the jars that were selling outside the state. Now it didn't happen legally, and everything that we everything we sell from our farm goes into metric. And so I'm not sure when I see that, and I, I just was like flattered that I saw it being traded. And there was demand for it. Unfortunately, I can't, I can't dig into that, but I love that we saw that. And the one thing that I, I'm scratching my head going is, and one of those states was New York, by the way, um, yeah. was, okay, now they're getting real glass house. They're, they're getting real glass house grown in Santa Barbara, soon to be also Ventura, where we know the quality is good. You know, and that's taken us now, we're over half a decade into this. So now you go, okay, let's go to Florida where the humidity is going to be an issue that we're going to have to deal with. We love sun-grown. We're not indoor growers. So we're going to have to find ways to tackle. You mentioned New York. Both those markets are ones I agree 100%. Nick, Florida is already a huge market now. Wait till you take the medical handcuffs off it. And then New York, I mean, I walked around Times Square. People are already smoking, smoking everywhere. Yeah. So. Uh, but the growth conditions in New York are going to be less than ideal being as far north and east as they are. So I would tell you this, I think it may end up coming down to, and again, we get asked all the time still. Um, I think it's going to be uh, a question of bandwidth, number one, but also can we, do we feel good about you who likes Glasshouse grown here in California, that you're down in Miami and you pick something up or you're in Long Island and you pick something up 
Are you going to go, huh, this Big Mac does not taste, and Graham would get pissed, I just used that as a, <laughs> but this Big Mac doesn't taste like the Big Mac that I, that I get at home. And I like the one I have at home and I don't like this one. And somehow you'll end up with a negative reaction about our brand. So we are, because we care so much about it, you may, you may, when you, we get off this, you may go, Jesus, he overthinks it, but we really are really care about what the consumer thinks. And we really think there's something special about California. So I would say this, let's put a question mark on that. Plus gummies. Absolutely. It's a manufactured product. We just have to find a way to make sure it's done consistently. And and I, I would say one other operator that I know uh, walked into uh, uh, Central Park and found his own products was Burner. I saw that on Instagram. He he saw people selling cookies brand, and he was like, "Is this this is real?" <laughs> and he was kind of blown away too. I bought one of his jars uh, from one of those uh, wrapped RVs, and I gave it to my business partner, who's a longtime user, like over fifty year kind of thing. And what I got from that wrapped truck you know and it had like weird colors i think it was delta eight sprayed on hemp but it was by the way the most expensive thing they were selling because it said cookies but then on my last visit i saw some christmas pop-ups of you know they're selling pies here and syrup over there and then they had cannabis and then i saw some raw garden i saw some cookies i saw some stizzy and those were real i was like these are absolutely real I can tell from the way that they're labeled and everything else with the barcode. So it's getting there. But again, it's going to be some time before we can legally do that. And as a publicly traded company and a company that we've always followed federal guidelines, we followed the coal memo to a T. We're not one of those companies that anybody ever says plays the gray. So we're we're just going to have to consider, you know, consider our options on that. But you're not the only one thinking about it. And, and you know, know that Graham and I talk about it all the time. Well, I, I, I do got to ask, because I know that I've taken you a little bit over your time already, and I appreciate the time that you give me. You know, what's next for you uh, and Glasshouse Group? Obviously, the acquisition was huge for you guys. Um, you guys have exploded uh, out of the gate through, through the pandemic. It, it didn't slow you down at all. Um, what's 2022 going to bring uh, for the Glasshouse brand portfolio? Yeah, yeah. So, look, we're all navigating a, uh, the, the, um, the commoditization of the flower pricing out here. It was inevitable. It was expected. It's still painful when you know when it comes. And so we're navigating that like all of the companies. So we're, we're pushing very hard. And when I mentioned uh, the bandwidth, uh, we have somebody very special uh, in Graham and his grow team. And so we really want to make sure that we, we build that out because what we do there will last probably decades. I mean, we're pouring new flooring that, um, you know, ebb and flood floors that will save lots of cogs and also be very good on the environment. So we're really needing to spend a lot of our bandwidth. And we took out our first draw of $50 million to, to do that. In regards to, to growing and, uh, you know, growing the company organically or through acquisitions, you know, when our stock is even at $4.55, you know, to the people that bought in at 10, 11 and $12, when I make it, if we decide to make an acquisition, it needs to make really good sense because, you know, we're all taking dilution with that. So what I'm telling you is there's no more exciting state to be in because of the commoditization, meaning people are bleeding. You know, like we mentioned C4 Distro went away, uh, looks like, and we're going to see, unfortunately, more of that. So I think retail is an important thing that we're, we're looking at if we can make sense of it. We're looking at continuing brands. And also, I would be willing to bet that you and I in two years, we can look back and there's probably two new categories or two new ways to take in cannabis that is not yet there. 
that somebody, and I'm hoping one of those two will, uh, will be on, but the, the main thing is just continuing to do what we're doing, finding, you know, Graham and I look at things, Moore's law, if we can do things that, you know, half the price, twice the speed, I think we're, we're doing something well and, and, uh, maintaining, maintaining consistency and quality. So I, I wish I could say, Hey, we're definitely going to go make an acquisition. I met Boris years ago. And he's like, I, I'm going to go buy select. And I was like, and he did. I would tell you, I'm more like, like be like water, you know, we're gritty, be like water. And when something like a plus gummies comes along that checks all the boxes, then I think you can bet we'll, we'll certainly be on it. Awesome. Well, Kyle, I really appreciate your time. You guys at the Glasshouse Group, you know, have been absolutely killing the California market. Look forward to see what you do uh, with the Plus Products portfolio. Um, again, please, please bring the brand across the country. I really, <laughs> I would really love to see a, a Glasshouse uh, when I travel to New York next. Well, Nick, thank you. Um, I really appreciate that you said that and appreciate your support that way. What I would say is, it's not expensive. Even if we were $20 and that was your price to come to Glasshouse Fest, we're going to have ways for people to try cannabis there. Like, you know, try our brand. You know, if you're an investor, that means you're an owner of the company. So, and we'll, we'll check the legalization. We have to charge you a penny, something like that. But I would say this, I hope, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of great companies in the industry that, that are worthy of looking for your investment dollars. Um, I think we're one of those. I have millions of my own dollars invested, um, you know, after tax money I put in. So I, I believe in, I've never taken a dime off the table. So I would tell you that uh, we're certainly worth one share in a visit. And hopefully you can even ride off the trip to California if you're not from here. But then you'll get to see all that is this cannabis industry. And it's exciting to do it right now. I mean, how many times can you say you are part of a, an illegal industry? It's fun. So we're having a great time. <laughs> Nick, I, I will tell you, this was one of my most fun interviews. You're you're well educated on the space, and you know us, and so I, I really thank you for uh, for inviting me on your show. I appreciate you, Kyle. Uh, again, co-founder and chairman of Glasshouse Group. Really appreciate your time, and uh, look forward to finally being able to smoke a joint in person <laughs> during your festival later this year. Let's let's. Uh, I don't know if you can do a toasting joints, but with COVID, we it's hard to share joints these days. But we'll toast a joint together. I look forward what? to. It. What I do is I, I roll up one for me and one for whoever I'm smoking with. Uh, and we, that, that's the new share. I wish Joe Biden would implement that. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Again, Kyle, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And look forward uh, to seeing you in person later this year. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to the green entrepreneur podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.